Hey y'all, welcome to Mace Way. Come on in and grab a seat. If you haven't grabbed some coffee, if it's uh, brewed over there, grab some. And uh, We're going to try to get going. We've got a minister's liturgy this evening, which uh, if you don't know is where we hand you the keys to the kingdom. It's important, you know, if you want the keys. It's a little semi-humor. No, it's actually our uh, liturgy for belonging and for being... Uh, uh, just talking with each other about our community commitment, both to each other and to this community. There's a lot of great language in this liturgy that I think you'll appreciate. And we're also talking, uh, we're beginning our series uh, for Lent. We're talking about uh, liturgy, and tonight Dan's going to talk a little bit about the liturgical calendar. And um, if you don't know, um, over there against the piano, we have a liturgical calendar. It's just uh, painted by uh, Dale's wife, Carol, in the form of a, a circle. And so uh, we'll uh, be telling you a little bit more about that circle if you don't know. The different colors represent the different times of year. And we're in that green section that's kind of in the afternoon between noon and uh, 2 o'clock. And uh, sorry, we, we've hit the purple. We're uh, into Lent, so that's uh, the purple right after the green. So my bad, sorry. Got to get my colors right. So uh, in light of this idea of this uh, calendar and God's time versus kind of our time, uh, I thought we'd do this uh, song by the birds from Ecclesiastes, uh, Turn, Turn, Turn. So sing along with us. Turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. Try that again. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die, time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. To everything, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. Time to build up, time to break down, a time to dance, time to mourn, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stone together. Season turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. A time of love, a time of hate, a time of war. 
here with us, I wanted to tell you that um, we are a community of people centered around the gospel of Christ, uh, seeking to enter into God's work here and also in the world. Um, I'm Chelsea, I'm the uh, administrative coordinator here at Emmaus Way, and I could tell you a few ways that you could connect if you're new with us. Um, Where's Elizabeth Eford? Is she around here? She's not here yet. Um, Elizabeth Eford is one person that you could come up to and contact. Her email address is actually on the back of your bulletin. She's kind of the person who coordinates our small groups here at Amaze Way. So if you're interested in that, you should give her a, um, a send her an email or catch her at some point during the service. And uh, if you are interested in pub group, the person to contact about that is Dan right over here. Um, we have several missional opportunities as well if you're interested in jumping in. Um, reality, we partner with Julie DeConto. Is she here today? All of my people are gone. Oh, okay. Um, but again, her email's on the back. Um, we also work with Durham Can, so if you're interested in getting involved in that way, again, Dan Rhodes is the person. And we also have uh, lovely people who come early to set up chairs and bring snacks, so if you're interested in that, the person to contact would be Sarah Busman. Um, we have some upcoming events. Is Denise here? I saw her walk in. Oh, she's not. That's right. Yeah, okay. the third. Do you want to talk about it? It's the third. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, the, the walkathon for ABC um, is an opportunity for people to sponsor people to walk. Um, they just walk around the neighborhood around uh, Antioch uh, Baptist Church, which is in uh, northeast central Durham. And uh, there's a lot of support from the community. The mayor's been there. The police chief's been there. Um, there have been a lot of... I can't remember all who's going to be there this uh, particular walkathon, but... Um, the Durham Divas are there. They're really fun uh, senior citizens uh, dancing group. They're, they're really awesome. And if I can do half of what they can do at their age, I'll be thrilled. Um, but anyway, they uh, come together to just be, uh, help the community be aware of this ministry, which has uh, a house and some other property. They're trying to even uh, do more houses, but it's a house for ex-offenders to get their feet kind of underneath them to get a job. You have to show residence. You have to show... Um, you know, that you're committed to your parole officer to be able to make it once you get out of prison. A lot of these guys walk out of jail with $40 and the clothes on their back. And so uh, Antioch uh, works with this ministry to try to get people um, back into society. And so that's what this walkathon is for. So again, it's on the 3rd, um, and uh, I think you can you can check out um, the ABC website for that. Sure. And if you don't know what that website is, you can contact, again, Denise, who's on the back of the bulletin. Yeah. Um, we also have the Foxes, who are going to share with us a little bit about the Lenten spiritual practice that will be happening at their home. So, um, Red and I were talking about what we wanted 
to do during the season of Lent. And oftentimes people give up things, but we kind of wanted to add something. And so because actually both of us are not particularly good at including silence in our lives, we decided that we're going to add silence in. So what we're going to do is Tuesdays at 7 p.m. and then Saturdays at 1 p.m., we're going to commit just to opening our home up to be a place of silence for that time. And you guys are welcome to come. And you're, of course, welcome to bring anyone else that might be interested. Um, and the time will be a little bit flexible. You know, if you want to come and if you want to do something like contemplative prayer and be still the whole time, you know, you're welcome to come do that. We will have some things to read, um, maybe like the Book of Common Prayer. We'll read something at the beginning to sort of get people settled down and get into it. But you're welcome to read scripture during that time, um, to pray during that time, anything that's going to be uh, incorporating silence and just being mindful during Lent. So again, that's every Tuesday at 7 p.m. and every Saturday at 1 p.m., except for this Saturday, because we're going to be out of town shooting a wedding. Um, but there will be more information that will go out over the weekly. And if you want to, if you want directions to our house, then just come talk to one of us. We can give you the address and directions and remind you of content and everything. So feel free to come every week or feel free to come Thanks so much. Um, tonight we're actually doing the minister's liturgy, which is Emmaus Way's rite of belonging. So our service is going to be quite full this evening. Um, uh, Wade wanted me to point out that I indeed am the one who left it off the bulletin, so that's my I fault. I didn't want but. you to point that out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that didn't make it on there this week, but it will be happening. In fact, now I think Amy's going to come up and talk to us. Um, thank you so much for coming. We're really glad to see you, and please feel free to grab me if you have any questions. Now, what I wanted to point out is that Chelsea faithfully does the bulletin every week, and she does an awesome job, and I'm really grateful not to do the bulletin. Absolutely. The couple times I've done it, um, you've noticed that lyrics were not in the right places. I think during one Christmas carol, we said, sang something about monsters, which <laughs> is not in uh, the text that I know of, but... Um, well, like Chelsea said, tonight we are going to uh, celebrate our uh, minister's liturgy, our rite of belonging, and... Um, I'm going to ask those folks who um, are going to participate if you guys would come up and stand um, in this area where Dan and I are going to um, be leading our group through this. Um, and as you come up, I just wanted to say a few, a few words about what the minister's liturgy is for those of you who are doing it and for those of you who perhaps have done it or maybe for those of you that are wondering, what, what is this? What is this liturgy that we've put together? Um, we say a lot that the minister's liturgy is our right of belonging. Um, we kind of tend to stay away from <laughs> we kind of tend to stay away from words like membership, words um, like you have to sign a contract, things like that. Um, but specifically, we use the word uh, minister's liturgy because we believe that when you enter into the community at Emmaus Way, you are indeed ministers. You are ministers of the gospel, um, and we are co-ministers working alongside one another um, to tell the story of God's redemption and to participate in that. Um, I feel like a little bit like I have like the choir. It does feel a bit like, um, a little bit like that. So we have a few, anybody else? Anybody? Anybody? Um, this is, yeah, seriously. I think people might sit down, actually. Um, as you can see, tonight we have a, a very big group. Um, the minister's liturgy is something that we hold dear to us, um, and unfortunately we have had a busy calendar year, and this is the first time, I think, in about a year 
plus that we have done this. Um, but uh, it's a wonderful sign that we have um, so many folks interested in it. Um, like I said, this is a time that we come together and we not only profess what we believe, the things that we hold dear to us, but also is a time for those who have participated in this um, to, to welcome the new ministers and to kind of renew um, our vows to the community and to one another as we do this. Um, we talk a lot about the priesthood of all believers here that Paul talks about in the New Testament. And it's, it's really evident when we, do, uh, when we do a dialogue, when we do um, a baptism, a dedication, that um, this community is not run by Dan or Tim or Wade or I. This is you all um, coming together, um, celebrating uh, Eucharist together, opening your homes to one another, um, and celebrating the life of God both um, in your families and, and beyond. So we're excited to participate in this. Um, we had a chance to go out to dinner a couple weeks ago and, and kind of talk about over a, th a few things that people had questions about. And I think maybe the refrain is, when you look at these things, um, these seven things, six things, sometimes seven, sometimes six, you know, it depends. Um, if you look at these things, they sound really overwhelming. They sound um, intimidating. They sound... Uh, lofty, to be honest. Um, but as we continue to say, these are things that we are challenging one another to do, things that Susan Jakes knows that she can't do on her own, like she has said before, and I know I can't do on my own. But these are things that we're calling one another um, closer to, and so we're excited to, to do that today. And so I'm going to turn it over to Dan, who's going to be leading us through it. Um, so if you'll take out your uh, form that says Minister's Liturgy, we're going to start with that. And you'll notice that as we go through this, there are a couple different moves in it. Um, the first part that we start off with will be all those who have gone through the Minister's Liturgy in this co uh, congregation, along with the new kind of entrance, will all remember and reconfess these vows that we're joining with one another to uh, pursue. Um, and as Amy just said, that's with the understanding that, yeah, the, I, there are times that I don't do a great job of fulfilling all these, many times that I don't do a great job, but is that, that we as a community together are vowing to hold these things uh, up with one another. So on the days that I'm not particularly faithful, maybe Amy is faithful for me, or Wade is faithful for me, or Ginny is faithful for me, that, uh, that we do these things collectively and we find strength with one another in doing that. Um, after that, then I'll proceed as the liturgent to give a call to the new uh, entrants, um, well, where they'll respond, the responses are on there, so there's nothing, no, no catches here. Um, and then after that, on the back, um, we will welcome them as a people together, um, and then I will offer a prayer for them, and then they will actually offer you the peace of Christ, um, and you can offer it back to them there at the end. So that's kind of how the movement works. Um, so we're going to go ahead and start with that at this time. As those gathered in the name of Christ... We commit to the following principles. To imitate Christ in thought, word, deed, and affection. And you can say those with me, those of you that are here. To simplify our lives through seeking sustainability in the use of our time, resources, and environment. To engage missionally in Durham and our larger communities as a redemptive presence and in faithful service. To foster proximity and mutuality amongst our fellow ministers and to work toward diversity and reconciliation in this community, to encourage one another in love 
through truthful speech, support, and prayer. And to cultivate the disciplines of continual prayer, consistent and collective study of the Word of God as found in the Holy Scriptures, participation in the daily life of the community, spiritual discernment, and authentic dialogue. And now a call to the new entrants. New entrants, it will be your task to proclaim by word and deed the gospel of Jesus Christ and to fashion your life in accordance with its precepts. You're to love and to serve the people among whom you work, caring alike for the young and the old, the strong and the weak, the rich and the poor. You are to proclaim the gospel, to declare God's forgiveness to penitent sinners, to pronounce God's blessing, to share in the celebrations of the mysteries of, of Christ's body and blood, and to perform the other tasks of the gospel entrusted to you. In all that you do, you are to nourish Christ's people from the riches of his grace and strengthen them to glorify God in this life and in the life to come. Now, my brothers and sisters, do you believe that you are truly called by God and his church to become, uh, to, in his church, to this community of ministers? I believe I am so called. Do you now, in the presence of this church, commit yourself to this trust and responsibility? I do. Will you be diligent in the reading and study of the Holy Scriptures and in seeking the knowledge of such things as they may make you a stronger and more able minister of the church. Will you undertake to be a faithful minister to all whom you are called to serve, laboring together with them and with your fellow ministers to build up the family of God? Will you do your best to pattern your life, partaking in the life of the community in accordance with the teachings of Christ? Will you persevere in prayer, both in public and in private, asking God's grace, both for yourself and for others, offering all your labors to God through the mediation of Jesus Christ and in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit? May the Lord who has given you the will to do these things also now give you the grace to perform them. Amen. Now, church. Let us welcome them, if you'll read this with me. We receive you into this fellowship, confess the faith of Christ crucified, proclaim his resurrection, and share with us in his eternal priesthood. We promise to encourage and support you in truth as a fellow minister in this community, binding our lives to yours, that we may make known to the world the gospel of Christ, through our love for one another. Welcome in the name of Christ. Now let me pray for us. May they exalt you, O Lord, in the midst of your people. Offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to you. Boldly proclaim the gospel of salvation and rightly administer the sacraments of the new covenant. Make these people a faithful ministers a patient teacher, and a wise counselor. Grant that in all things they may serve without reproach, so that your people may be strengthened and your name glorified in all the world. All this we ask through
Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen. Now, new ministers, will you offer us the peace of Christ? The peace of the Lord be always with you. And also also with you. Thank you. And as they're making their way back to their seats, we're now going to open up a time for you to share the peace of Christ with one another. You can get up, grab a snack if you want to, say hi to somebody, um, but offer one another the peace of Christ in the greeting. So as we're going to talk about this uh, series on liturgy, and we're beginning, as I mentioned, with the uh, liturgical calendar, one of the things about the liturgical calendar is that it puts us in uh, this time uh, that the church is kind of called God's time, or time related to Christmas and Easter, and the the festivals that are related to those celebrations. And uh, our lives are certainly more oriented generally around school or work or the kind of a normal calendar that we would say is part of our regular everyday time. And so uh, one of the songs I wanted to do with you guys is one we've done before uh, by The Call, Michael Ben, uh, called Let the Day Begin. And I think it reminds us that there's people going about their lives and uh, everyday different ways and vocations and that uh, it's easy for us to get involved in this idea that there's a sacred world and there's a secular world and that the two don't really come together but I think we've tried to say to Mansway that we think those worlds are a lot more connected and that God is involved in our everyday all the time so as you get this one uh, the chorus repeats quite a bit sing along if you'd like Here's to the babies in the brand new world. Here's to the beauty of the stars. Here's to the travelers on the open road. Here's to the dreamers in the bars. Here's to the loved ones in their care. 
Here's to the strangers on the streets tonight. Here's to the lonely everywhere. Here's to the wisdom from the mouths of babes. Here's to the lions in the cage. Here's to the struggles of the silent
The sense of time and sense of calendar has already been set. For, as was mentioned earlier, we have just recently, this week, we celebrated Ash Wednesday and we entered into the season of Lent in the church calendar. Um, now, for those of you that don't know uh, what Lent is, as I did not know up until a few years ago what Lent was, it just wasn't used in the tradition that I came out of, Lent is the time prior to Easter. It's 40 days, not counting the Sundays. Uh, prior to Easter, that during the church was a time of preparation for Easter. It was a time historically when uh, people who were going to be baptized into the church uh, found themselves going through uh, cate catechesis and study, and they were being trained in what it meant to be a Christian. Because during that time, Christianity was not seen as something that you just said, yes, I like that, it sounds good, but Christianity was a whole form of life. Uh, and so people who were coming into baptism were trained in the whole form of life of Christianity. And for, for those 40 days, uh, there was intense training that prepared them to be baptized on Easter and brought into the fold of the congregation. It was also a time when people who had uh, run away from the church or committed uh, sins against the church went through a time of penitence and were in, then invited back into the church on, on Easter. And we still have remnants of that in the sense of, in Lent, a lot of us, if you know what Lent is, you're used to understanding Lent by saying, well, I'm going to give something up for Lent. Um, it's a time during the year where I give something up, or uh, as was said earlier with Sarah and... Um, um, and yeah, yeah. Um, Sarah and Brett. Sorry, Brett. Gosh. That was one of those where I was just like reaching, um, where you take on a practice. And the idea there is not that you're beating yourself up or that in some ways you're, you're trying to pay a penalty for punishment, but that it is a training of our desires, that by fasting or giving something up, we, we pique our desires a little bit. We bring our desires to the surface and we see where there are times throughout our lives we spend a whole lot of our time chasing things that are not all that important. We find ourselves, our desires are connected to things that uh, maybe it's just instantaneous gratification that we're filling our lives with. And so Lent is a time of preparation, not where we beat ourselves up, but where we, we look at our desires and we try to find them retrained. Uh, we try to find them trained in the church to become more in tune with what are, I think, our deeper, deeper desires. And that is to find ourselves in communion with God. Um, so during this time of Lent, we thought it would be good uh, to take a closer look at a lot of the elements of the liturgy. Now, not too long ago, we went through a series where we looked at some of the larger practices of the church, where we looked at baptism, we looked at communion, we looked at uh, this weird, quirky practice that we called binding and loosing, which was basically corporate uh, discernment and also kind of how we deal with conflicts in the community. But during this series, uh, kind of connected to the way in which Lent, we start to attend 
to our, our desires a little bit more, we're going to attend to kind of some of the more rote parts of the liturgy, the parts that you may not even recognize if you come in every Sunday uh, and we say, welcome, it's the seventh Sunday of Epiphany. You may just say, oh, okay, well, that's great, wonderful. Um, so we're going to try to, or, or, or I think we're going to do some on song and some on prayer. So some of the parts of the liturgy that happen every week, but we're going to try to attend to them a little bit more closely throughout these series, to see, or through this series, so that we can see how they train us, how they help us to live as Christians in the world, and how they form us and how they shape us in that life. Uh, so tonight we're going to look at kind of a broad overarching theme, which is the liturgical calendar. We're going to look at living in the time of the church. Um, I know there's not a passage for you uh, printed out tonight, and I have to say that we're going to, uh, I'm using a little bit of preacherly freedom, hopefully it's not proof texting, uh, we're going to jump, we're going to use this passage I'm going to read for us real quickly as more of a jumping off point. Uh, as more of a jumping off point to talk about uh, the liturgical calendar and time. Um, so this is a reading from the Gospel of Luke, uh, starting in, verse, uh, or in chapter 12, starting in verse 54, and I'll read uh, through 56. So Jesus is teaching to the crowds, and he looks at them and says, Now, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It's going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you also say, it's going to be a scorching heat. And it happens. But you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for a chance to gather, for a chance to hear from one another, to share our lives together, to break bread uh, and pour wine and juice for one another, celebrating your grace into our lives. Lord, give us now ears to hear and voices to speak so that we might be the gospel, the message of the gospel to one another. Amen. Now, looking at you, my guess is that a lot of you, like me, or like uh, our small family, are list people. You know what I'm talking about, right? We're list people. We have checklists that are everywhere in the house. You know what I'm talking about. You write a list to go to the grocery store. You write a list of things that you have to do during the day. We're list people. I think we like that because does anybody ever find themselves cheating on their list? You know, you start off by saying, got up, check that one off, yep, already getting going today. Or you get down and you say, oh, make a list, I'm going to check that one off, and just making a list right now. It gives us a sense of we've already got some traction on the day, that we're moving somewhere, that we have things to accomplish, and when we list them out, it feels so darn good to just check them off, to get them going. We're checklist people. If you just do an initial Google search on checklists, things will pop up all over the place. There is a checklist for if you are a mom, things for you to, to take care of with your child. There is a checklist for those of you that are uh, applying to graduate programs or applying to undergraduate institutions or trying to get your children into a, a, a different school. There is a checklist for you to follow. 
If you're, I don't know, studying and there is a professor gives you an exam, there is a checklist a lot of times of things that you should study and that you can find yourself uh, so that you can locate yourself and how you're doing on a progress sheet. We like checklists because they give us a sense of progress. They give us a sense of how to move forward, of what to do. There was a recent book that just came out by a man named Atul Gamande. And the title of the book is The Checklist Manifesto. And his notion in the book is that in a complex world that we live in, in this, in this world that is so complex and so overly technologized and where we have so many things to do, that most of the time the errors that are made for us are not errors of ignorance. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's not that we don't know how to solve a problem. But that most of the errors we run into are errors of ineptitude. They're errors where we just didn't go through the procedures correctly, or we didn't solve the problem in the way that we knew it needed to be solved, but we just didn't find ourselves following the right steps. So his idea, and this guy's a surgeon, I think, uh, he writes for the New Yorker, uh, it, it was that checklists in a lot of ways in a, in, in a very complex world that we live in can be a way of helping us be better people. That if we just kind of have a good checklist, he's gone through and he's established checklists for surgeons and found that if they follow this checklist, if the, if the checklist is posted and they follow the checklist, that more often than not, uh, there's great success in, in positive surgery results. Uh, not, no malpractice suits and all that kind of stuff as a result of bad surgeries. That checklist somehow can give us a sense of moving forward. You see, checklists, I think, are kind of like mini-calendars, aren't they? They're a little bit like mini-calendars. They function to help us, I mean, you know, it, me, if I get up in the morning and I do not have a checklist, I don't know what to do with my day. I get up out of bed and I kind of wander around, maybe I get coffee, I can do that without a checklist, but not much else. That a checklist really gives me a sense of, okay, here are the things that I really have to accomplish, and here are the things I really, really have to achieve today. It gives me a sense of meaning and purpose. A checklist, in some sense, tells us how to engage the time of our day. The passage that I just read from you, uh, read for you from Luke, is all about learning how to tell time. That one of the things that we encounter in Christ's message is that Jesus tells his disciples and tells the crowds, if you're going to understand what is going on here, you're going to have to learn how to tell time. How to tell what's going on through the telling of time. Calendars are like that. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but think about a calendar. And think about the way that calendars work. Right? We don't put a lot of thought into this much of the time. But calendars themselves really do structure time for us, don't they? I mean, yeah, we have the kind of like, you know, cosmic notion of the seasons and it's winter. There's no calendar that's going to change the fact that it's winter outside or that spring maybe is going to come or maybe not come. But calendars really do structure our time. They're almost kind of like... Uh, excuse the, 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 the language, maybe Karen will like this, they're almost like a grammar for the time of our lives, which means they're like rules. They kind of, a calendar tells us when to stop. It tells us when to kind of write with exclamation. It tells us when we can just offer a normal day. But calendars, in a, in a real sense, help us structure our lives 
in certain ways. Let me give you some examples. At the end of the 18th century, during the French Revolution, French peasants and uprisers basically took over the king. And in taking over the king, one of the things that they did, besides execute the king, was to reestablish a whole different calendar. Because the whole of their lives had been ordered according to the king's festivals, according to the king's days of celebration, according to the, the, uh, the bringing of a new king in when it was time. And one of the things that they did was abolish the whole royal calendar and establish a peasant calendar. A closer example of this you can think of is think of the kind of United States calendar, right? Do you think they celebrate July 4th in India? Certainly not in England, I don't know, do they, Hannah? <laughs> yeah. That we have these markers, holidays, maybe times that we have off, that teach us or guide us along and tell us what's going on. We all know that the celebration of July 4th is a day not only that we get off, a lot of us, maybe not all of us, but it also is a day we know that was our Independence Day. It's a day that we as the United States, as people in the United States, as citizens of the United States, celebrate independence, which has a meaning for us that we remember every July 4th. That political entities establish calendars and they help us understand our lives. They help us know what it means to be an American. Right? To be an American is to be independent because we had an Independence Day that we now celebrate where we freed ourselves from those English. Right? Sorry, Hannah. <laughs> but calendars help us structure our time. And calendars also do something else. They give us a sense of time that also helps us understand what's meaningful. They help us understand what's significant. You see, in our calendars, not every day is exactly like every other day, is it? When you have a day off or when you have a holiday, that's not a work day. They structure our lives according to teaching us what things are to be celebrated and what are important and what are just normal days to guide our work. They fill us with a new sense of time. Now, here's, a, here's the thing for you and for me. We live in a very, very, very different sense of time than the people in the text, than the early church. We live in a very, very heightened sense of time. Those of you that are history buffs, you may know this. But sometime during the 14th century in the Middle Ages, people's sense of time began to change significantly. You see, up until that point, people had lived pretty much agrarian lives. They had lived lives where day was defined, basically the, the French word jour, is basically the amount of land that can be plowed from sunup to sundown, right? That's where that term comes from, that a day is basically the amount of normal work you could probably get done in a day. And obviously that's pretty loose, right? Because in the winter, there are not as many uh, hours of light as there are in the summer. So these things were just kind of loose clothing that hung on. But in the 14th century, merchants in various cities around Europe began to construct bell towers that would ring out the hours of a working day because they needed people to manufacture either cloth, 
They needed people to continue to work and, con uh, and constructing books or whatever they were doing. And that those bell towers that were erected began to replace the chiming of the church hours and the chiming of the holidays of the church themselves. Now, over the years, we've come into that heightened sense of time and know it now as our very heightened sense of the working hour. That every hour for us is an hour of productivity. It's an hour where something must be done. That we now live in a time where, well, we live in a time where time is something that's extremely, extremely important. Such that one of the, the, the kind of paradoxes that we find ourselves in, I think, is that one of the worst things you can be found doing is wasting time. Right? Because time is so important. Time is the, it's when I have to get things done. It's when I have to produce. That one of the worst things you could find or, or be found doing is wasting time. And yet, there's never enough of it. How many of you have finished a day saying, wow, whew, that day just dragged on forever. And man, I just got, I had so much done before lunch, I didn't know what to do with my afternoon. How many of you new mothers? Right? Feel like the day, man, it just has so much extra time. I don't know what to do with myself. You see, we tend to think of time in, in chunks of books to be produced, or mouths to be fed, or small tasks that have to be completed so that my company won't get on my back or I can fulfill my job. We live with an extremely heightened sense of time. So I want to ask you a question here. What are some of your frustrations around time? Reflect on kind of your own inhabiting of time, the way that time affects you in your sense of time. What are your, some of your frustrations about the time that you know right now and kind of how you experience time? One of my main frustrations, especially sharing an office with someone, is people that keep me from being that productive. <laughs> and I remember a long time ago a conversation with Jim Thomas about his son and him just saying, like, relationships are not efficient. Right. Like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. And because I'm trying to be all about efficiency, like that's why I have this frustration. And so, yeah, just people who are trying to make me inefficient. People are notorious at getting in the way. Especially when you have something very important to do. I mean, yes, relationships are over and over and over again things that do not produce kind of better use of time necessarily, at least the way that we think of it. I feel that way about eating and sleeping. I feel like it's just a waste of time. Right. Yeah. Right. Why don't, you know, especially in the work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to do it, but it's like, right. I'm hungry. I don't want to go, you know, find right. something to eat. I need to do what I'm doing. Right. Yeah, so and I heard Jim say that's the best part. So, like, there's always this kind of sense of really feeling guilty about, I don't know, I'm going to sleep, but I don't feel guilty. I'm going to feel guilty about it later because I didn't get anything done. Or maybe I'm going to sit down and eat, and now I'm going to feel guilty because I didn't do what I was supposed to be doing because I decided to eat something. I'm sure those of you, the, some of you that have really quick-paced jobs, uh, I don't know, maybe some of you that work in the hospital, if you're nurses or whatever, that's probably the overwhelming sense that you have all the time, that, oh my gosh, I've got to take a moment to eat, but if I eat, I'm going to feel guilty because there's a patient over there that needs me or something. Yeah. I think you've got, 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's number one offense. Your time is not more important than my time, so I don't know what you do for a living. That's always, I always wonder, like, people get that get paid, I mean, this is just a kind of sidebar, but people that get these bank bonuses of millions and millions and millions of dollars, I always want, I want to hang out with them for a day, because I work pretty hard, and I want to know what you do that require, that deserves that amount of pay per hour. Do you not take a lunch break? I, I don't know what you do for that much money. I, I want to hang out with people from time to time just so I can see what it is. Amy and then Andrew. I was going to say, just like relationships aren't efficient, like you said, children are not efficient. There's definitely days you feel like you're spinning your wheels. Like you look around the house and you're like, this looks exactly like it did 12 hours ago. And yet in that, I felt like I did so much. Like I never stopped moving, right? But everything is still the same. I don't know, Eli was cracking the whip when we were at Tech's team the other day trying to say, hey, it's time to get going, it's time to move. Yeah, I mean, children, of course. I mean, the sense of never being able to kind of uh, be efficient with, you know, child labor laws, I think, are solely for that because children just aren't efficient, so we couldn't use them anymore. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Andrew. One of the ways in which, I'm, I'm going to make, a, this is not a judgment on you, this is just something about, I think, in our culture, uh, not a judgment on you, uh, on all of us, is that I think one of the ways in which we struggle with real meaning for our lives is because our time has become so monotonous. And it's become, every unit of time is exactly like every other unit of time. It's either a time, you know, and this is the way our culture plays it out, it's either a time you should be working, all right, and every moment of time uh, should be served working. Or it's an entertainment moment. It's a 30-minute, you know, you should be watching this show, and then that show, and then that show, and then that show. And so you either go from work to entertainment, work to entertainment, work to entertainment, and every moment is exactly the same. That, the sense of, we were talking at the text team this week, and it was Tuesday, and we were all sitting down chatting about the text, and I was thinking, you know, if we were in Brazil right now, none of us would have to think about the fact that, hey, you know, it's Mardi Gras right now. That there are high points and there are other lower points that the calendar fluctuates in more. I think we're, we, we don't sense that quite a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, Trigger? I was saying, a couple of lines of what someone was saying. It, sometimes to me, time, time makes you feel trapped. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think in terms of, some of that is just this cyclical monotonous thing, but I'm very grateful to have a job. I work at Duke. Um, my job is not particularly interesting to me. 
go there. Um, it's I on the podcast. My, I sell my. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to make a name for myself. Um, but it's like I sell my labor to Duke, and Duke gets 45 plus hours a week, and that's, that's their time. And I need that time to live. But after work, there are about a good four to five hours that are my time. Mm-hmm. But like Jesse's kind of saying, well, I've got to eat, and I've got to go mm-hmm. grocery shopping, I have to clean my apartment. Mm-hmm. I have relationships that I want to maintain with people. Right. Um, and then there's there's that sense where if you don't want to keep doing a job that's actually interesting, you've got to do other things on your own time to get set up to do something bigger and better and more epic. Right. But I can't figure out how to get that yeah. time because I do care about relationships with my friends and an apartment that doesn't have too much bacteria growing. Yeah. <laughs> and next thing you know, yeah, every day, every week looks the same. And one day you wake up and you're 37 and you're almost 38. And like a lot of the big markers are gone. I went to right. undergrad, I went to grad school, I hit those things. And it just sometimes feels like you're just kind of going and waiting to yeah. maybe retire. And, <laughs> there it is. Piece of Christ. Yeah. 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 Because I think that's the only, it's one of the beauties of Christianity, maybe compared to other faiths that just talk about endless cycles. It's, yeah. It's Christianity. There, there actually is a certain linearness, and it is heading somewhere. All right. Sometimes I just maybe want to get there sooner than. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Th- it's no. It's no. I don't, it's not just happenstance or accident that midlife crisis. You know, I mean, you find yourself. You wake up and you find yourself thinking, "Oh my gosh, I've devoted half, over half of my life to something. I, what, what, what matters? What, what that I've done?" Sports car. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, maybe a go kart. So one of the things. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking back to a job I had when I had to bill for my time. I had to keep track of every mm-hmm. little thing I did, and it's just such a prison. Like, yeah. and I want to avoid at all costs any jobs that require that same yeah. activity because it's just maddening. Right. You're like, I went to the bathroom. Do I? Like, yeah. I the prison house of billable hours. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. That. I think that shows the way in which time we have in our, in our heightened sense of time almost become hostages of our time. You know, we think we think in doing that we've mastered time. That time has become the way we can make money out of time. Hey, time is money. So we can, take mo- we can take the time that we have and make money off of it. And we think we've actually mastered time. But really, I think some of the reverse happens, that we become mastered by that time quite a bit. So our focus tonight is on the church calendar. Um, and, and the calendar of the church, I want us to begin to think about it this way. Is the calendar or the grammar of time that orients our lives toward God? That the church calendar is a structure of time that orients us to God. Think about this. How odd is it that we are gathered here tonight? I mean, don't you all have better things to do? Right? Aren't there better things that you could be doing than sitting here right now? Think about how odd it is. That God has called a people in our complex world where there are so many different things going on. That God has called us as a people to simply meet and worship. That God actually has given us time to do that. Think about how odd that makes us as a people. That you're here gathered together 
in some sense, celebrating and finding your lives oriented into a different way of living. That the significance of our lives are in some ways, or, or we're helped to see it by spending our time here. Now, I don't want you to hear the notion that, God, that, that the calendar orients us to God in the wrong way. Right? I've struggled a lot in thinking through what we were going to talk about tonight because I know how this works. As soon as you start talking about relationships, the church calendar, orienting your life to God, this is what happens to me. I'm like, crap. That's a, another checklist of things that I have to get done today. I'm going to add a big one at the bottom that says something about God, and if I get through the rest of them, maybe I'll get a cha- chance to take a shot at that one. I don't want you to hear it that way. Because I think in the sense of having our time oriented by God, by the church calendar, actually frees us. It frees us because it invites us into life with God, such that we are told, even just by spending our time here, that it is not your job to save every child in your classroom. That it is not your job to cure cancer. That it is not your job to save the continent of Africa. Or that it is not your job to make sure that you produce the outcomes that will make people's lives better. That God is doing. In a certain way, being invited into God's time frees us up. Because it frees us up to realize that God gives us time as a gift. That it is a gift given to us. It's a gift given to us where God is already working, and then we are invited into doing that with God. That we are not the ones who have to make it happen, whose time is of the essence because we are the ones who have to make sure that the future and that history come out the way that it's supposed to. That God is already doing that, and we're invited into God's time. So let me ask you a question right here. What do you think it would mean, thinking about the church calendar that way, as, as the gift of time to us? What do you think it would mean for us to begin to receive time as a gift? What would, what would that mean? What would that look like? I know for me, um, as I struggle with like, having anxieties over making sure that I do everything right, like right now with grad school, I'm thinking of who can I send an email to make sure that they invite me in for the PhD program? And I start drafting endless emails in my head. And I think that I've been struggling with um, giving that decision to God. And um, it just really speaks to the part part that maybe this time that I'm using to better myself um, isn't freeing me the way that spending time with God could. I didn't really think of it as actually... I always kind of thought of God being kind of asking a lot for my time. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think of him as giving something that I didn't have before. Mm-hmm. So I think it would rid a lot of my anxiety and give me him yeah. instead. Yeah, and there's a, there's a change of, of kind of the way that we understand our sense of time there. Like, we tend to think of uh, time as, like, the time that I'm preparing for my application, the time that I'm preparing to finish, the time that I'm preparing to go to work the next day. But sometimes if we understand time given to us as a gift, it's God saying that, well, there's actually something grander going on here and that you're invited into not just preparing, but into being a child of God, into resting in that. Dan, I was going to, and that's sort of 
um, so my, my time is oriented in weeks and weekends, so time by myself and time with help. <laughs> and I think that I've been thinking a lot about what it looks like to enter into God's time. And for me, it's just bringing myself up to be more present and to not just live through the weeks quickly so that I can enjoy the weekends, but rather actually enjoy a Monday mid-morning where, you know, nothing special is happening. It's not like the last year or we're going on some grand adventure, but it's time that's right. given to me with my kids, and I should just be present in that. Yeah, and, and the way in which I think, uh, it's a subtle shift, but the way in which, you know, we live in this culture that also teaches us that, oh, well, you should savor every precious moment, uh, as if, you know, a mom, a new mom is running around going, oh, wow, this is so wonderful, I'm just going to, you know, savor every moment here. I think you're mainly in survival mode, as Amy was saying one day, that you're just operating on whatever, you know, kind of on the brink of exhaustion and just trying to get through, and so savoring the moment is not always the best advice. But somehow, sometimes in the way that we model time to our children, um, being present and being uh, kind of living in that time shows our children what's meaningful. What is it that our parents are preparing for? You know, why do they go to this crazy place on Sunday evenings and meet with one another? What does that, that's kind of nuts. Why would you do that when you could be doing so many other things? And so I think there's a sense of even just kind of the way that we live in time being a gift to others in time. I want to conclude tonight by looking at our icon over here. Um, I don't know if you can see it that far from back over there, but uh, if you look at the icon, when, when Carol wrote this icon for us, um, she based it off of Rublev's uh, Holy Trinity icon. And so in the middle there, you can see there is uh, the Holy Trinity represented uh, by the three persons dining at the same table. Um, now, where that icon comes from is from Genesis 18, which is where visitors come and visit Abraham, and they sit under a tree with him, and they dine with him, and they share time with him. Um, and the church fathers and, and mothers, when they were writing on, how is it that we understand that Jesus is the Son of God? What do we mean when we say that? Uh, they, they began to think about God in Trinitarian form. And... The way that they thought about that, the best word that they could come to describe it was a term that says, well, it's a dance. That God's life in and of itself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is a dance with one another. That God is three in one, and the best we can do to understand that is to say that God is communal as God's self and sharing in an ongoing dance. And this icon comes from that passage uh, where the 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 fathers and the mothers thought the Trinity was represented in the Old Testament. And I think there are a couple things that looking at the icon jump out at me thinking about the calendar. The first is that God makes time for us. Now, I say that and I have two ways of thinking about that. That God makes time for us says that God makes time to be with us. That God, because God is already communal in God's existence, that God actually makes time to be with you and me. But then in the second way, that God also makes time for us to live in. You'll notice the way that Carol painted the icon. There is a road that passes. You can see some camels in white down here on the lower left-hand corner. And there is a kind of road that passes through the church calendar and continues on. And I think what she's painting there is the way in which God makes time for us to live in. 
that we can receive that time as a gift from God, living into life with God. And there are three ways I want you to think about this. And they're all tied to the church calendar. The first is kind of in the season of Lent, that because God is a communicative God, communicative God, God wants to communicate with us, and God gives us time to communicate. So that, especially in the season of Lent, the practice of prayer becomes a way that we share in God's time. It becomes a way where we focus and bend ourselves, sometimes with postures, that allow us to share and communicate with God in time. So prayer is one way that we, through the calendar, are shaped into the life of God. The second is hospitality. As I mentioned, uh, this is a passage, a passage in Genesis where Abraham dines with three visitors. And that because God is, is already a communitarian God, God invites Abraham into that space. And God teaches us how to be hospitable in that way. God is not running around trying to make sure everything's done, but God invites us into a space to be hospitable. And so this is a thing I think we learn in the time of Advent, a time that we passed through earlier where we were expecting the Christ child, where we were making space and room amongst us for the Christ child. So another thing that the church calendar teaches us is hospitality. Not hospitality in the sense of you have to get all these things done so you can actually have relations with people, but kind of what Sarah pointed to, the way in which relationships pull us into a different sense of time. That they're not efficient. They don't function that way. And so they're not another thing to check off at the end of the day, but they are in some sense the way our lives are formed by living in communion with God. And the last, I think, is mission. As Wade was saying, we've passed through the green at the top right-hand corner of the calendar, which was Epiphany, and we're now in Lent. Well, after we reach Easter, you'll notice that there's a really big white spike that comes out on the right-hand side. And that is Easter, and the time following that is Pentecost. Uh, the time following Easter, the celebration of Easter, if you come all the way down, is a time of Pentecost. And that, I think, is the time where God teaches us mission. God teaches us call. That living with God is a time where we are invited into God's act of redeeming the world. Where we share in the time of being sent out as people. Being sent out to make use of time. Not to produce gadgets and widgets or different things like that. But to actually call people into the fold of God. So those are just three. There are many, many more. But I think what you can begin to see as we participate in the church calendar is that we're being taught how to tell time. We're being taught how to tell time, that not all times are the same. There are things that mean more than others, that a resurrection is a really important event, that a birth of a Christ child is a really important event, and that as we order our lives around that calendar, it actually makes our lives together possible. And it makes, more importantly, our lives together meaningful because it tells us what's going on in the world. Wade's going to invite us now to a time of confession uh, that you'll actually be given some time in. Yeah, thank you, Dan. Um, thanks for getting us going on this liturgy series. And 
So tonight, um, many of you have said you appreciate uh, when we have times of silence, so we're going to give you a little bit of time of silence instead of doing our confession with either spoken word like we often do or song as we often do. We're going to give you just some time to move around, some time to be quiet, time to reflect. And uh, Mark and Katrina have also set up a prayer station in the back. Uh, Mark, do you want to just mention uh, anything about that? We'll talk a little more about this as we get into Lent more, but um, I know we'll be back tonight. So um, one thing that we did back when we met in the loft um, on Ninth Street above uh, Francesca's, we used to, uh, what, I remember one Lent season where we had this chicken wire on the side of the wall, and we had um, little index cards that we could write prayers on and use a little clothespin and put them up on the chicken wire. It was really meaningful for me that Lent because... The first week, I sort of wrote a prayer out, and then like every week after that, I would sort of revisit it and sort of take it down, look at it, read through it again, think about the ways like in the past week, God had sort of entered my life in, in a way that was affecting that prayer, whether it was ways that I felt like he'd been faithful or ways that I felt like I still didn't understand what he was doing. Um, so it was sometimes a frustration, sometimes it was joyful, but... One of the things that we want to do here, we have some cards back there, there's a little table with some candles, we have some cards and uh, some little safety pins, and we're going to do this kind of thing, whoever wants to do this, is just to sort of write your prayer inside, and then you can pin it up outside here on this burlap. Um, so like, for instance, like I just wrote this last night, that I said, what ways have I guarded myself and tried to protect myself lately that may have shielded me from experiencing God's grace and redemption? So I want to pin this up there, and then in the weeks that come through Lent, I want to revisit that and be mindful of that during this season. So that's a lot of what we want to do. And again, we'll talk a little more about some of the other art supplies that are back there and, and how that might be useful to you during the time of Lent. But anyway, that's kind of the basic. Yeah, thanks. And also going forward, too, feel free uh, during any of these services and at any time during the services to use that space back there. It's not just for confession. And um, two, to, to let you know that as we mentioned in the minister's liturgy, we do confession and absolution as a group, as a community, because none of us have this together. None of us know how to uh, live into God's time as well as we want. We need each other to um, do that, and uh, we need each other to, to grow uh, with and to learn from. So take a little bit of time, and then I'll call you back with a song of absolution in a few minutes. Let me read a couple um, words from our Song of Absolution. It's time to let it go. Everybody has a dream that they will never own. Come on, boys, if, if it weren't not for trying, it's called the laugh of recognition when you laugh but you feel like dying. Don't be shy, if we gotta walk away, we gotta hold our heads up high. You're not the first one to start again. Come on now, friends, there's something to be said for tenacity. I'll hold on to you if you hold on to me. I think we hear in these lyrics that God is holding on to us and that we have an opportunity to hold on to each other. That part of absolution is that re-embracing and saying that uh, we trust each other to be a part of this journey.
understand that uh, we need each other to help understand God's time and uh, what our priorities are. So um, it's a fairly simple song. Sing along as you get it. How many of you um, 
are PBS nerds like Travis and I um, and have watched Downton Abbey. Um, but it's was a wonderful, uh, addicting show that we watched the summer before Eli came and, you know, eagerly awaited the new um, season, which is awesome. Um, but there's this one scene in which um, Maggie Smith, is she Dame Maggie Smith? She is uh, the, uh, you know, elderly British actress that just does a fabulous job with, with whatever she does. She is a, she plays a rich, um, dame in, in Downton Abbey and at one point over the dinner table they're having a discussion about gardening and um, one of the dinner guests says yes this is a, that's something I like to do on the weekends I like to garden my rose garden and Maggie Smith says what is a weekend <laughs> because she is this uh, woman who has never worked a day in her life so for her day goes to day goes to day goes to day there's no separation between work and entertainment, strict or otherwise. Um, and so, of course, you know, we laughed at that. And we can laugh easily, too, because for many of us, for all of us, we know what it is like to have a weekend. There's no lack of work to be done. There's no lack of things to tend to, of, of children to raise, of uh, books to be read, and classes to be taught. But it's interesting. What do we do with that call that Dan has called us to tonight. For time to be something that we are freed from, something that we can enjoy. What does that mean for our place in Lent? As we talked about earlier, time can be one of those things that uh, we enter into kind of at a low place, or it can be a place of uh, high energy. And as the church calendar calls us to, Lent is a time of, uh, of confession, of um, thoughtful penitence, things like that. So what does that mean for our time at the table? As we mentioned before, Lent is 40 days, but the funny thing about Lent is that those 40 days don't include Sundays. And I think that's where we get to enter in to that idea of time. Here on Sunday nights when we gather, we get this little break, this little inroad in the church calendar where we see, as Trigger was talking about, a sort of linear break. When we gather around the table, we do so not having left the time of confession and penitence, but having God's hospitality reach our hospitality as we serve wine, and bread, and juice to one another. It's a time not that we suspend belief or suspend imagination, not a time where magic or wizardry happens, but a true time in which all things are made new. I invite you to the table tonight. At Emmaus Way, we celebrate an open table, and everyone is welcome. We break bread, we pour wine, we pour juice for one another, saying, this is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the blood of Christ shed for you. Tonight we have um, our communion station behind Wade. And we're actually going to sing our benediction song before we go to the table. So after, after we sing that, would you come to the table? Would you join with one another? And would you offer each other the body and blood of Christ? We do a benediction song each week. Sometimes it's lost a little bit with the table, but... 
We do a benediction song because benediction is literally the good word, and we want you to leave with a good word of God's hope. And so this song is a Julie Miller song called Last Song, kind of meant as a benediction. So uh, we'll do it a couple times so that if you haven't heard it, you'll get it. times. May your hope run like a river that will never run dry. May your burdens grow light. May your worries subside. This is my prayer for you. Let's try that again. May your peace be an anchor in stormy times. May your hope run like a river that will never run dry. May your burdens grow light. May your worries subside. This is my prayer for you. Soul grow deep. May your soul grow deep. May your joy run wild. May your heart know the face of mercy has smiled. May faith come to let you believe like a child. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for you from the top. May your peace be an anchor in stormy times. May your hope run like a river that will never run dry. May your burdens grow light. May your worries subside. This is my prayer for you. And may your soul grow deep. And your joy run wild. May your heart know the face of mercy has smiled. May faith come to let you believe like a child. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for you. Please greet each other at the table. And we'll see you next week.